Hi, I'm Lynn Epp from LeanPub, and in this episode of the Front Matter podcast, I'll be interviewing Michael Zanata. Based in Brisbane, Michael is a PowerShell expert and a popular author, speaker, and streamer, and co-founder of the Brisbane Infrastructure DevOps user group. You can follow him on Twitter at PowerShellMICH1, and check out his profile on LinkedIn, and you can also follow him on Twitch at PowerShellMichael. Michael is the co-author of the LeanPub book, Modern IT Automation with PowerShell. In the book, Michael and his co-authors at the DevOps Collective help readers learn about PowerShell automation tools and techniques with professional-grade practical examples. In this interview, we're going to talk about Michael's background and career, professional interests, his book, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about his and his team's experience using LeanPub to self-publish their book. So thank you very much, Michael, for being on the LeanPub Front Matter podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I always like to start these interviews by asking people for their origin story. Um, so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you grew up and how you found your way into the career you have in tech. Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting story. Is um, I grew up in far north Queensland and um, a little town called Mariba. And um, I picked up computing off my father. And so back in the day, my father was studying in information technology. And so um, our house, um, we had, was one of the few houses probably in the town that had a, a coax network. And, um, you know, we didn't, we had, you know, our own little kids' computers and we basically played around with um, computers. And it wasn't really until grade nine where I showed an interest in computing. And then from um, grade 10, I actually learned VB Script and um, continued scripting until, with VB Script until 2012. So that was in my second job. I started in my career in IT in 2010 and I finished in I finished writing with VB Script and learned PowerShell in 2013. So yeah, it's a a bit of a journey. Um, So yeah, obviously kind of take a bit of a step back. Um, We, I was always interested in computing um, quite young. And then as growing up, you know, and after grade nine and started seriously getting into computing. And one of the key things I used to do, and I kind of think back, it's, um, it was just the eagerness to learn everything I could possibly get my hands on. So what I used to do as a child is I would actually sit down and go through every command executable within the System32 directory to understand what it did. And and one of the things was that um, my, my father actually taught me um, DOS. So I was... Um, I actually was quite fluent in the command line and being able to understand and navigate it, you know, it was quite comfortable in it. So it was, um, yeah, soon after that, I did some batch uh, scripting within that. And then, yeah, it was just, yeah, it kind of just took off ever since from that. And then, you know, um, throughout school, um, always showed a keen interest in computing and did very well in that and in, in studies within that. And, um, yeah, and obviously just progressed. Um, I, I was here. My first job was, you know, any sort of uh, first job in IT is kind of I compare it to your first year apprenticeship, where you're essentially sweeping floors, you know. So I was just doing help desk work, and then kind of had the opportunity to progress into systems administration, which um, you know got me exposed into a little, a little bit more uh, scripting side of things. And I actually wrote a few scripts for the organisation that where I worked there. And then after that, I actually met uh, a really, really influential friend of mine, um, good friends to this day. Um, he's a trainer at, um, at Cloud Guru. And um, yeah, he said, <laughs> when I met him, I basically, I, we, he gave me the scripting challenge that I needed to do. And I was, was writing in VB script. He's like, no, you're not going to write on VB script. You're going to write in PowerShell. And he taught me PowerShell. And then from that, we just kind of um, fed off each other's 
um, enthusiasm and, you know, he was a stickler for best practice and he was an excellent mentor and still is to this day. And um, yeah, and I just essentially progressed my PowerShell skills and got it, you know, to the point where I felt that I was comfortable enough to be called uh, somewhat of an expert. I don't like to use that term somewhat, mainly because um, I believe that we're always still learning something new. Um, but at the same time, though, yeah, just, you know, getting my skills to that point and, and then um, getting really involved within the, um, the PowerShell community. So that was, um, you know, one of the, the interesting and met some really, really cool people in there and um, got involved within the PowerShell conference book volume two, where I was an author and then unofficial editor. And then in volume three, I was a senior editor and then um, we decided that we didn't want to write another PowerShell conference book and we wanted to write something that was a little bit more, um, it was the PowerShell conference books were a little bit too advanced though for um, a lot of the wider community. So we kind of wanted to write an intermediary book where essentially there's a, um, it provides some of the key fundamental steps that can get you, you know, kind of bootstrap you into that more advanced state. So yeah, and that's that's pretty much where where I'm at today. Yeah, thanks very much for sharing that. I've got some more specific questions I'll ask you about um, mm. about your book and, and the subject of that and, and stuff like that. But um, just to begin with, it's interesting over the years, um, this uh, podcast has become a bit of a time capsule because so many LeanPub authors are people who are in, write programming books and things like that. It's become a bit of a time capsule of eras in learning how to program and so i believe you were you were kind of coming of age in the in the early part of this century in the aughts what resources did you have available like you know other than other than your father <laughs> to uh to mm -hmm. learn and, and just sort of like you know hacking away like you did what resources did you have available to learn did you have paper books did you have the internet i didn't have any of that um it's my my father basically gave me some Microsoft CHM files that Ed Wilson worked on, um, and it essentially was the fundamentals. And then he there was he found some examples on the internet where um, where they had like uh, like a little collection of scripts where they could do different things with the WMI and things like that. So. It, that was how I learned to write code. It was really, um, for myself, it was the baptism of fire. But it's kind of funny because I learned to write VBScript in grade 10. By grade 12, I was incredibly fluent in it. And one of the projects we wrote, we worked on was VB.net within class. So, you know, making the step was just a no-brainer. Um, I still didn't fully understand the fundamentals in terms of how to structure code um, you know, in a way that's um, maintainable, what, we, what I would call maintainable. There was no testing back then. So that was something that um, had to come after time. But in terms of, you know, as from a learning perspective, it was kind of, you know, just some sheets of paper and essentially trial and error. So, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. I can imagine, you know, sort of getting something, the, the excitement of getting something to work under those circumstances as well must have been sort of a real, I mean, a real sort of, special kind of thrill right yeah it was it was the, the biggest highlight for myself well, it was two big highlights but the, the the one that I had in school was this um when I was in school as I wrote this um really really rudimentary program um it was in VBScript which essentially acted like a, a client server so you could actually send commands to the server and it could do things and it was um 
you know, it, it was not pretty, <laughs> to say the least, but it worked. And it was such a thrill to see that work. And the other one, which I wrote was a, like a chat um, program. Um, so you could, you know, like an MSN messenger. And obviously, you know, these kinds of languages are not multi-threaded. So I kind of had to invent my own means to be able to um, have a multi-threading um, implementation again it's not it wasn't good <laughs> but the um, the thrill of it was yeah to see it work you know and then I you know and then I was thought hey how you know let's see if I can write some encryption for it and so you know again you know write some I didn't know what encryption was you know I didn't know there was the you know I didn't know how to access the libraries to be able to just basically encrypt a string it essentially was write something myself and I would probably use the term obfuscation it wasn't encryption it was more obfuscation and essentially, it would just obfuscate the string. And you could actually have multiple, um, the way that it essentially worked is you could actually have multiple concurrent sessions with different users talking to each other um, on the same server. Um, so it was, yeah, uh, you know, for being, uh, for being a kid, you're kind of like thinking this is actually, you know, really, really cool. So yeah, and even to this day, I kind of think it was really cool. I could probably rewrite it in a way that would be, you know, a lot better, but... <laughs> <laughs> it'd be a better but at the end of the day it's um yeah yeah that's that's a really it's great story that, i really like the, the you know the, the passion yeah. that one can have you know when one's learning learning and, and these that, things and the magic of being able to do it and that's exactly right it's nothing nothing is more satisfying than to have the satisfaction it's satisfying to see the project come to life and it's kind of funny is that it, it changes throughout time so you know within um, I wrote on my LinkedIn a very, very long time ago. It was probably in 2015. I wrote a um, an article on essentially um, a systems administration, a systems administrator rudimentary pixel aimbot for Battlefield 4. And I did it as a just kind of a proof of concept. Can you do something like this? And I took some of the learnings that I had from VB scripting and I moved it into PowerShell. And you know, being able to use the language, it made things it allowed me to get things done a lot easier, but the, the, the root, but it, yeah, it worked. It, it not great. It wasn't a great solution, but the concept worked. And, you know, like seeing that just the, the, seeing the, um, you know, the, 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 the um, seeing the program running in the background and then literally the constant of the, the crosshead just immediately go to a person's right, head. Right. It's just that remarkable piece of engineering and thinking, hey, I've actually managed to do that and then overcome, you know, so many obstacles. And I think fast forward to um, today, especially with this book, you know, I've been working on this book. We've been working on this book for since 2020. And it's, you know, it's just that thing that, you know, being able to actually just keep pushing forward um, and then the excitement of actually seeing that you've managed to create something so extraordinary. So yeah, I'm really curious to actually hear more specifically about the about the book um, and the process mm. about how it came about a little bit later mm -hmm. on. But um, before we do that, I'm just moving on in your in the stages in your career. Um, mm. uh, so you learned you you were sort of like learned a lot in high school and stuff like that, and then you you reached the point where like it's time to there's this sort of path right where it's like you know get a job or go to university. Um, and, mm. um, I'm, I'm just looking at your, um, LinkedIn profile here and I gather you sort of mm. went and got, went and got a job and it's kind of, right? yeah, I, it was, it's very interesting. I went to, um, I went and did a diploma, advanced diploma information technology. And my, my 
high school school wasn't good enough to go straight to university. And I actually think that was a kind of a blessing in disguise. And the, and the reason why I kind of say that is because um, I, I went and did an advanced diploma and towards the end of it, I thought, is this something I really want to do? And it's something that I still, I think that it for myself, it's something that um, I, I thought long and hard about it. Um, and I thought, you know, should I go and do something else? And I thought, hey, maybe I should just go and, um, you know, I wanted to go and do electrical engineering within the army. And, and that was something that kind of piqued my interest for a bit. And then, you know, essentially I kind of realized that this was, I'm truly passionate about and something that I needed to essentially, you know, it's, I think that if I was to be able to continue to pursue it and get to that Nirvana, I'd be able to, you know, I'll never have to work a day in my life. And I kind of still see that in the sense that, you know, I get to do what I love. So I never work a day in my life. I just get to go to work and play around with PowerShell and teach people about it and, you know, make people's lives easier. And that's what I'm passionate about. So, um, yeah. And, 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 and yeah. And so essentially after the advanced diploma, it, it was going to be a trip. In, uh, essentially, I would have to go into university. And I thought about that and I thought, do I want to go and spend four years, another four years studying? And it's, and this is something, especially from my perspective, and this is, again, my opinion within the industry, is that um, the, the relevance that the universities are essentially teaching and the, what is provided is not necessarily what's aligned to what the industry is having. So, and, and it just kind of, in, in our specific area, it means that you can essentially go and get a diploma and go and get a job. Um, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, the degree, you know, adds a little bit more to it. You know, some organizations will be wanting to hire specifics on a degree, but most people don't. They essentially, what they're looking for is industry certifications and, you know, skills associated to that. So, and that's one of those things that um, for myself, it's, I think I could have, a formalized study could have made it a little easier for myself, but at the same time, though, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a stickler for um, going the extra mile. So it's and you know spending a bit of um, you know working a little hard to get somewhere. So I think that that adds um, from that perspective, the adversity is kind of something that um, I actually enjoy. So. Yeah, thanks very much for for that ex that explanation and that story. I mean, it's it's you you sort of without me having to ask you, you answered a version mm -hmm. of a question that comes up on this podcast a lot, and mm -hmm. uh, you know, which is like you know, there's if you, there's a matrix of went to university, didn't go to university, mm -hmm. regret, don't regret. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I talk to people all over, um, and um, and for a lot of people, particularly, I think if their passion is to do the work, you know, getting out there into the world and doing it is the best thing ever. Um, and, you know, sort of for, for years in university can seem like just sort of delayed time. But I wanted to draw attention to, to something that people might not know about. And this is a way of, of getting to ask you a specific question. But um, the industry certifications that you mentioned are incredibly rigorous and difficult for people mm. who, don't, who don't know. Um, it's not it's not like it's not easy um, to get these kinds of certifications. Um, mm. And uh, maybe we will get to talk a little bit more about what that experience is like a bit. But if you could, for, for example, for our audience listening, there might be, and I'm sure you get this question at the pub table or the in-laws or whatever, but uh, what does a systems administrator do? That's actually, um, 
it, it, I think the roles actually changed from over time. So as a systems administrator, a systems administrator back in the day, their job was essentially to manage the implement, uh, to manage the infrastructure. So they weren't creating anything; they were just managing the infrastructure. Um, I also known that systems administrator in different. It, it means a lot. It means it can be different in different roles. So for instance, I know that in one role, um, it can be you are an engineer, which essentially is, you know, you're, you're creating stuff. Um, when, with the other systems administrator, you know, it's yeah, purely just maintaining um, systems, um, ongoing systems. And I've kind of, yeah, I've grown up through that systems um, administration infrastructure process. and. As, as you become more senior, generally speaking, you generally transfer into this engineering process and then the, obviously from that, the architecture. I've kind of just taken a, a side detour off to, um, you know, specialise in automation um, you know, and then kind of go into that area. So I'm stepping away from the more of the infrastructure and working kind of in a little bit more of the dev space. So, uh, and, that, and that's something that I've always wanted to do. I always wanted to kind of work... Um, you know, in those, in the, in, in kind of within both worlds, because I think that, you know, both worlds realistically um, have a lot to offer, especially towards each other. So I was, there's one thing I kind of just quickly wanted to take a quick step back to with regards to um, the, um, within the, my diploma was that one of the things that I actually am working on, what I still do is I actually have a really close working relationship with the teachers there. And so I occasionally will go there out of my own time and just go and talk to the students about PowerShell and a little about, you know, IT life and what to expect and, you know, just kind of offer some, you know, basic nuggets with regards to that and just tell them some funny stories about, you know, uh, things about, you know, that I've done that are, you know, really kind of quite, quite silly, but, you know, it's just, and then, and the other thing, which is really quite cool is to be able to sit down on the industry panel and be able to sit there and offer, you know, to be able to re review the course curriculums and be able to actually say, okay, this is the emphasis that we want to be able to place on, you know, and kind of provide a lot more, um, you know, guidance around that specific area. So that's, yeah, something else that, I work on it's it's something that I, I thoroughly enjoy as well and um, once one of the things I am planning to do is once I do get the final paperback version I'll sign it and I actually um, well once I'm finished reviewing it sorry I'll sign it and I'll send it to those teachers as a thank you because you know from what they've done for me and obviously just kind of return that favor yeah, that's that's really great. It's really great to be able to give back to the community that way and especially mm. sort of share things with people that like, you know, you wish you'd known at the time kind of thing. Mm. Um, uh, and maybe the sort of even even the sort of like out in the out in the field kind of cutting edge stuff that maybe the teachers aren't sort of themselves fully up on it because that's just not, mm. not what they're doing. But um, uh, just for, for people listening. Yeah. So when we're talking about infrastructure and architecture, we're talking about mm. computing, IT, hardware architecture and infrastructure and code and things like that. And I was wondering if you could talk then in, in that context about, so basically this is like the kind of work that makes everything just go, right? Um, the kind of mm. magic, magical work, in, like to those who don't understand understand how mm. it works. It's like, why can you go on the internet and do all these crazy things? Well, it's because there's people out there who are making making it all work. Um, mm. And that, that evolves over time. And so I was wondering if you could talk then in that context about what what is PowerShell? Imagine imagine you're explaining to someone who doesn't know know how to program or anything like that. What 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 are you working with when you're working with PowerShell, and what are you trying to do? PowerShell. The best way I'd like to describe PowerShell as, um, to anyone is it's an automation language. Um, it essentially has two features. Um, it has the feature of the actual scripting side of things where 
you are able to get stuff done. So PowerShell, from that perspective, PowerShell was implemented so that systems administrators can get stuff done quickly. Um, and what I mean, get stuff done, hey, you need to change a thousand user part, you know, you need to remove, oh, you need to change the, you know, there's a, a thousand users that you need to change a password to. In PowerShell, you can do that in one line. Um, and it's really built on the pipeline, um, the PowerShell pipeline. And that's the key thing that makes it so powerful is the fact that you can essentially take object data and literally hand it to different commands. So it's not just a string, uh, a bit of, a bit of uh, like a bit of string data, it's a full .NET object that you can pass. And the other thing which is really powerful about the scripting side of things is it has access to the .NET library. So um, you can, you know, essentially write pretty much whatever you can do in C Sharp, you can pretty close can do in PowerShell. So there's a lot of out of the box function, oh, there's a lot of functionality that you can have at the fingertips, which if you kind of compared to batch scripting and VB scripting, it's just, you know, it's, it's light years ahead of that. The other facet of PowerShell um, being an automation language is its ability for um, infrastructure as code, what we call in, um, in PowerShell, we call it desired state configuration. And the whole concept of desired state configuration is its ability to be able to prevent what we call configuration drift. So think of it as you've got this um, computer, um, you want to make sure that that computer basically keeps its, keeps everything that it needs in a specific way without, you know, things being changing. So think of it as if an update comes down or somebody jumps on there and makes a change, um, desired state configuration will recognize that change and essentially it kind of draws from the, the StarCraft Battlecruiser. It just makes it so. So the concept is, is that it just puts it back. Essentially, it just sees it's out of configuration and then brings it back into configuration. It just makes it so. And that's really the key thing. Those are the two um, kind of facets of PowerShell. And to kind of draw a little bit on from that infrastructure as code side is that the infrastructure as code, you know, that expands um, into other, you know, obviously other technologies. So, you know, you've got Puppet Chef, Ansible, um, you know, those kinds of other tools out there. So yeah, it's, it's, it's essentially kind of takes two cool, you know, cool, two cool pieces of technology and makes them one and makes it just a, a really, really great language to learn to just get stuff done in a way that basically makes everybody's life a lot easier. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you mentioned that um, make, making people's lives easier. I mean, well, we had a big reminder in Canada not too long ago when one of our major national telecoms providers uh, went down for service, um, and um, uh, you know you, you didn't realize how easy it was to like make a payment with your debit card until like that. I'm not going to name the company, but like their service went down nationwide, and now like not only could you not you couldn't even call nine one one, which isn't supposed to be able to happen, but um, from from some mm. phones, but. Um, uh, yeah, you couldn't you couldn't walk into the store and pay with your card anymore, you know. And then there's there's not only you inconvenienced by that, there's the poor business that's not making any money that whole day, and then multiply that by a whole country, and you've got a really big problem. And I don't remember exactly what happened, and maybe it wasn't along these lines, but it could have been along the lines where like some update was being done, and like you know words like configuration are easy to say, but like the the reality underneath that is incredibly complex and evolving. And like you can imagine a a machine with a million different gears all that need to fit together, but each each gear is different and has its own basically sort of like width for the teeth and stuff like that. And if if the update coming in doesn't match that kind of setting as it were, 
put it in a very kind of cartoonish way, you can mm -hmm. you can muck up the whole thing. Um, so the kind of yep. the kind of work being done behind this is just really important. To, like the stakes are high. And, and that it's it's one of these things that I've always found within systems administration. It's often a thankless job. Um, it's and it's a job that it's really hard to justify um, resources for because the concept is is that well the product is always it's still working why should I invest more resources into it and that's it's something that um, I've seen being addressed in a variety of different ways throughout my you know my, my um, throughout my career and you know within different organisations and it's it's something that I think when I've, I've seen to come, I've, I've, I've come to realize that, you know, it, it's really, it comes down to an organizational philosophy and how much, you know, it's, it's willing to invest. And when money is being invested in it, you know, things just don't break. And the thing is, is that you can do really, really cool things where, you know, um, you can, you know, build a lot of really cool automation on top of it. And one of the, I, I'll kind of, um, draw back to one of the places I used to work at with my really really good friend and he um, he he had the we had the opportunity and it's a very rare opportunity to be able to build a new domain structure um, from the ground up and so we decided that or he decided that this was even before I was here I got to review the document I had got to review the document but essentially the idea was to build um, everything from the ground up with automation in mind so the 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 um, architecture um, across everything was built for automation, and when we did that, what happened was once we had our infrastructure up and running and it was all running smoothly, then when we stuck that automation on top, it just plugged in so smoothly, and we automated everything because we had this amazing platform to do it that was you know had everything. Um, made available to us and so we built we built our own self-service portal before you know there was self-service portals we you know we had we had many many script servers that were basically could fix things that you know we didn't have um, that we couldn't have done if without it so it's you know one of those things that it just made IT life so much easier and in, that investment was key to the success and the longevity of that system. And and was that recognized? Did you guys get like big bonuses and promotions? It was a nonprofit center. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, but I, I just bring it up because you did mention the thankless job. And um, it's a, mm. this kind of work is something I have my sort of, my sort of clever formulation is um, it, it, it it's, has invisible success. You know, mm. like if, if you succeed, it, it's because it's, it's supposed to be the kind of success that no one notices, right? It's, mm. it's, it's kind of like, you know, fire, you know, um, fire codes you know like yep you know like that that like so like if fire codes are made and followed and maintained things don't things don't burn down but the but the the person who prevented it from all happening doesn't hopefully get like in a way in a way you kind of don't want them to get recognized because you want it to just yeah. be a, a part of a part of life that bad things don't happen and that good things can happen and so it's, and it's interesting that like you can be the most in a way you can be the most important people at the company and not regarded as such <laughs> yeah and it's, it's one of the things that um, to kind of draw on that was I had recently gave a demo um, to a company I've kind of been doing some um, kind of just doing some work for. And it's, and the whole concept is they have a service that you'd be able to run PowerShell scripts by the website. And I wanted to be able to take 
infrastructure as code and their website and eventually married them together. And I explained it to him. I said, the, I'm going to demo you the process that it's going to take to create a new virtual machine. And it's going to be remarkably boring. And that's because all the automation that's been under the hood to make it remarkably boring, to make it mundane, to make it look like, you know, it's something like, you know, like an iPhone where essentially, you know, it's, it's just, it just works. The, the automation and the logic that has to go behind it to make, to get it to that point, you know, essentially it, that's the cool part. That's the part where, you know, where you'd be able to actually write that piece of code to be able to do some incredible things with it um, to make mundane automation where, you know, a person doesn't even think twice. They think, oh, okay, I need to create a new virtual machine. Next, next, next. That's not something for them is, you know, quite special, but then for the people that actually know it, you know, under the hood, it's a completely different thing. <laughs> you know, it's the, the, the problem solving that is required. And, and it's another good example is just taking an operating system, for example, is that, you know, it has to have the ability for, you know, to be able to communicate with variety of, you know, just some different hardware devices and be able to, you know, effectively communicate with them. Um, recently, I um, spent last night, I've, I've recently I've been looking at buying a little KVM switch for my um, computer here and my, for my work laptop. And I've been really diving into the detailed spec of um, DisplayPort. And I'm realizing that, um, you know, the, the spec is remarkable it's it's actually a very very interesting piece of technology but the um but then actually looking at what the challenges that people actually have to make within a for instance within a display port cable to be able to um, a good example is display port compression where essentially the bandwidth is um, if you've got let's say a 4k panel at 120 hertz the, the bandwidth that's available on that display port cable is actually not possible for you to be able to do that. So what they will do is actually um, natively um, compress, the, um, uh, compress the data that's being sent to your screen. And then essentially the monitor will um, decompress that and display the image. So you can squeeze a lot more bandwidth on that wire. And there's things like overdriving the cable a little bit and, you know, um, yeah, it's, it's just really, really quite interesting, especially from, you know, yeah, seeing the, the nuances that things have to go through to just make things nat like just just work. It's, it's, it's that's yeah, that's exciting. Uh, earlier on, you drew a connection between uh, uh, you know, making things like that work and making things like a book uh, happen. Um, so just moving yeah. on to the next part of the interview to talk about about the book, um, uh, Modern mm. IT Automation with PowerShell. Uh, just just very briefly, I was, was wondering if you could talk about who, who the book is for. Who's the That's, um, a, yeah, so within the community, we have what we call the, the baseline book, which is generally recommended across for everyone, which is essentially PowerShell in a month of lunches. Um, this book is really kind of serves as an intermediary um, resource where it kind of takes what the learnings you have from PowerShell in a month of lunches, which, you know, gives you the basics. Um, there's no point trying to reteach what's already been taught. I've kind of gone through that fair bit. But the idea is, is that it takes the key things that we use on a day-to-day -day basis as a normal systems administrator, as a scripter, and be able to actually um, provide them or add that content into the book. So it essentially makes the person a better coder, a better scripter. 
Um, and that really kind of serves as that stepping stone um, if they basically choose to go and, you know, buy a PowerShell conference textbook. And those, those a conference book, those books are very, very deep dives. There's in the PowerShell conference book, volume two, um, one of the authors does a deep dive into PowerShell tokenizer, um, which is a very, very interesting read um, about how PowerShell actually passes it within C Sharp. Um, so the actual C Sharp class itself. And, and so, you know, from a, from a, you know, a generic reader will just look at that and go, this is, you know, it's a little bit too um, over my head. But at the end of the day, though, it's just that a really great intermediary gap that kind of serves between, you know, as the basics, as well as the advanced um, and it really kind of, we try to kind of combine a, you know, a variety of different things within there that, you know, within the PowerShell community, you know, it's common practice, but things like just, you know, testing your code, things like um, refactoring your code to be, you know, to essentially just remove nested statements, you know, so not think, thinking about writing code differently so rather than from a perspective of just you know write something as an input output but thinking about how to structure it in a way that's a little bit easier to read so you know if you come back two months later you're going to still look at it and then um you know and then just be able to you know write better comments things like that so and that's something that where um, i find that it's really beneficial especially for other people to kind of you know grasp, grasp that concept um there's other things in there which we, um, I really wanted to place an emphasis on was PowerShell security. So, um, and one of the key things within the book is that we do deep dives into um, constrained language mode. We do deep dives into um, what we what I call uh, what we call JEA or just enough administration. Um, and it's really, really making sure that the concepts are fully grasped because from obviously within today's environment, especially with what's happening um, with the cybersecurity side of things, this kind of, those, those chapters have never become more important, more relevant. Um, so it's something that I really wanted, and I've spent a fair bit of time um, on the constrained language mode chapter, making sure that, and um, the JEA chapter, making sure that, you know, it's, everything that a person needs to know, but it's even more than that. It's also thinking about, you know, best practices with regards to that thinking like, you know, okay, how am I going to implement um, role configuration within a domain environment, Windows environment? How is that going to look like? And so essentially it's describing um, those kinds of, you know, architectural decisions that have to be made to be able to get it to that point. So it's, that's really kind of the, the, the approach that we took to that book. Um, and on, on LeanPub, um, the, you mentioned community a couple of times, and that there's actually a very specific mm. meaning part in, in a sense to that here uh, with this project where um, your co-author on LeanPub is the account for the DevOps Collective. Yep. Um, uh, and they've got a bunch of a bunch of books on LeanPub. And I was just wondering if you could talk about that, about how, how did the idea for the book come about? Was it your idea and you were already part of the DevOps Collective or did they bring you in? I, I just, I'm just not, not familiar with the story myself. Yeah, so... So it's kind of, it was an idea that I had, but I kind of, I was, I worked on the PowerShell conference books, volume two and volume three. And so after volume three, I had a chat with one of the senior editors and I thought, um, I'm not ready to get off this ride. And <laughs> the other thing was um, I wanted to write a book that I, I think we've written enough PowerShell conference textbooks. Um, what I wanted us to do was write something that was different. We wanted to write, oh, sorry, 
conference book, not textbook. I was, <laughs> I don't know why that word just gets inserted into, <laughs> it's, not a it's not a textbook, it's just a book. Um, we wanted to write an actual study resource. We wanted to write something that, you know, someone can actually pick up and teach with, you know, it's an actual resource that, you know, is, it's, can be used by anybody within a, you know, an academics sense or within a, um, a professional sense. And the, the thing that we kind of, we sat down and we brainstormed about it and it was, we brainstormed about this in 2020, me, myself and Stephen, and we, we talked about um, where, where we wanted to take it and what we wanted to write. And the key thing, what we wanted to do is we still wanted to make it the book, all the proceeds go to charity. Um, that was one of our key goals. The other thing which we really wanted to do was basically write a book that focused, really emphasized on best practices on what the community was doing. And that's really what we kind of tried to put, um, try to kind of put as much into this book as possible. And we, throughout the, the, the development of the book, one of the really cool things was that the, we, we always take our learnings from the previous conference books, but we, we apply the DevOps mentality to our, um, the book. And what we did was we essentially, um, our, our book was essentially written, you know, within GitHub using pull requests, code reviews. We had automatic linting um, in place. And that was really, really quite a, um, it, it really helped the book um, progress quickly um, compared to, um, you know, having a traditional Word document, having manual kind of merging. And, and most people that we had, we engaged with were quite familiar with any, you know, writing in a, a markdown. So it wasn't, uh, you know, a, a learning experience for those guys um, where it became a bit of a learning experience for us was really starting to understand and pushing the limits of what um, LFM can actually do uh, technically uh, to be able to achieve what we wanted it to do. So, yeah. Yeah. I'd actually like to talk to you about that. This, that we leave, we leave mm. this, this part where we talk about like the kind of in the weeds of writing and publishing for the, for the end of the mm. interview. And believe it or not, there are people who skip to the end uh, to just to, just to learn about that stuff because um, it's, it's mm. just interesting to them. Um, but yeah. So the process you were mentioning, I mean, for people who are familiar with writing things in plain text and collaborating with, with basically, you know, Git and GitHub, if you're going to collaboratively write a program, you're going to use those tools. And if you're going to collaboratively write a book, you use those tools. Um, and yeah. they're, just, they're just amazing um, uh, ways to write books, which, which is incredible. But you mentioned LFM, so that's Lean Pub flavored Markdown. And uh, that's the sort of the sort of older version of Lean Pub's in-house in version yeah. of mark Markdown for books, basically. Yeah. And yeah, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the, the specific sort of challenges that you and your team, and I think your colleague Nick, um, uh, sort of faced with that. Yeah, so... Um... I have to give a massive shout out to Nick. Um, he is an absolute gun. He solved a lot of our issues. Um, and we've had these issues throughout the book. Um, and, and these are issues that what we did was we approached um, the book in a way that when we, when we structured our authoring and our editing, we would weed out as much as we can within our linting process. And then the rest will just have to be weeded out manually. And so what happened was um, we, the, the, the first big issue was margin issues um, that, that plagued us in volume two, where essentially um, if you had a single line, uh, uh, if you had um, single word code blocks within 
a sentence structure, um, it can potentially cause margin issues where the, um, the words would actually trail off the edge of the screen. So things like that. And we, we address those post editing within the former PowerShell conference textbooks with just by simply putting, you know, um, our, our testing process was literally just, you know, have holding a ruler up on the side of the screen and scrolling down and looking for any sort of words that popped outside the margin. And that, you know, it, it, was, it worked, but it, it was still a quite a challenge. And the reason why was because, you know, you could kind of try and hyphenate words and we had processes to be able to kind of force a new line and, you know, things around that. But the problem was, is that sometimes we just had to rewrite sentences to actually make them fit. And that was a really big challenge. Fast forward into this book, we didn't have that issue as much. And we, the, 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 the biggest issue that we had was our margin issue was for our annotations at the bottom of a page. They would go off the side of the screen and it was GitHub. Um, and we'd have to, we would be referencing an edition, a specific um, blob within GitHub's URL and its URLs were incredibly long and it was very, very hard to um, to break them, and we we figured out we could actually insert um, HTML into. Oh, uh, Nick actually figured out you could insert HTML into those um, into the string. It wouldn't break the annotation, but it would allow us to insert spaces to be able to eventually force Lean um, LeanPub's compiling process to create a new line. And so that's how we got around that, and we had to continually go back to fixing those issues because um, we would be changing URLs all the time and then things would, the spacing would, would kind of get pushed out or whack there. And the other, the other spacing issue which we had issues with was the, um, within our code blocks. And so we essentially wrote a, a piece of code that would look at multi-line code blocks evaluate the code, look at the length of the code, and it would run a whole bunch of unit tests, other unit tests against them, um, looking for specific issues with regards to, um, I know there was length, there was, um, oh, I can't even remember them now. There was, there was a number of different things that we were looking for. But the key thing was, is that um, it was, it enabled us to fix entirely all our um, multi-line code block um, of line issues and the other thing which we found which was um really really good was that we just to make sure that if there was an issue we just shrunk the text um for our code blocks by one size so it would give us that little bit of extra real estate if they needed it so it wasn't something that would particularly um you know be a breaking issue within the book you would just see it slightly smaller but you wouldn't see it run off the side of the page and that was something that we did as well um, the index was a really big challenge um, and that was a, something that we really i really hummed and hard about even developing an index and we thought about maybe do we take the pdf um, and then basically republish it after we give it to an indexer to, you know, manually index the book. And we decided that we were going to include the index into the build process. And I'm going to kind of talk generally speaking here because um, Nick is the guy that wrote the code and it's very, very in-depth and I haven't had time to look. I didn't actually look at the code. Um, was essentially the way that it worked was that it would, and, and, and Nick can correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that it worked was 
it would go to the latest build on, it would go to the URL, or the latest preview URL on LinkedIn, uh, on LinkedIn, and would download that PDF. And then it would essentially parse that PDF into as an object within, um, within uh, C sharp slash up within as a .NET object within PowerShell. And then at the same time, what it would do is it would go and grab um, the, uh, the markdown and it would go and it would go and grab the markdown and essentially match the two side by side, which if you kind of think about that, that's quite remarkable. Um, and then what we did was we had a, a CSV file um, where essentially we could write within that CSV file, a specific, you know, like uh, we could write headings. So we would have three types of headings. Um, and then we would essentially write a regex string that would associate that, um, those specific that specific pattern to those items and you could also on top of that exclude specific patterns that were found so if you wanted to kind of narrow the search results that you what that you kind of found you can also do that within there as well and it's and you would run the script and it would basically compile a um, an index and the key thing with the index was that and this is something that is is quite remarkable was that it needed to preserve it would create a table in LeanPub. And that table structure needed to preserve the page. So you couldn't just, you know, build a singular table. You have to build multiple tables because the sizing of the page and it would break, um, it would break the, um, it would it would just look weird in, if we if we compiled it. And so um, in the final the PDF. So it was, it was a really, really interesting process. And, um, it's, it's something that even to this day, I'm genuinely blown away with by the logic that had to be written. Essentially, you're kind of decompiling a, a PDF to be able to, and then associating it to a markdown, which is something that, um, yeah, it's, it's just remarkable. Um, so yeah, hat off to Nick, massive, massive shout out and huge thank you. He's a, he was an instrumental uh, member in, to, um, in that. And he's an absolute regex gun. Um, so yeah. <laughs> well, thanks very much for sharing that. Um, you know, we 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 always like we often like to say we've got the best uh, customers because we've got in, in the book publishing industry because they're programmers and they and solve these incredible problems. Um, the sort of we like to solve problems. Yeah. yeah the, the sort of the sort of flip side of that is that um uh you know um uh, sometimes LeanPub authors go out and solve all these problems. And then it's a, and then it, it, but it's a one-off because only they, only they have their solution. And so, um, uh, you know, one, one thing I should mention is that, um, but that's just, that's just amazing. That's just amazing. Um, and uh, yeah, um, in Markua 0.30, which were, which isn't fully implemented yet, but is the sort of successor to LFM or LeanPub flavored markdown, we will have indexing support. And I mean, it, it won't be anything like, kind of like probably as like, kind of, at least to begin with as kind of fancy as what you guys did, but, but we do, we do have that. Uh, concept. So hopefully, hopefully everyone won't have to sort of reinvent this very, very the complex wheel, again, wheel yeah. <laughs> every time. Um, it, it should just, it, it should just, and indexes should just work in Marco 0.30. And that's one of the things that we do have. So we've all, we're, we're, everyone has kind of taken a bit of a hiatus at the moment with a well-earned break. Um, and one of the key things that we, um, we, we, we are going to, we are still going to do a, a review and retrospective on um, what went well, what didn't go well, what we need to improve for the, the future edition. And one of the key things that we have on already on our to-do list is move off LFM um, into Makura. And that is 
at the end of the day, though, while we think it's going to be something that, you know, we at the end of the day, we're going to need to bite that bullet. So it's, um, yeah, it, it's not something that I think it's going to be that difficult to migrate across. I think there will be some sort of, you know, there'll be formatting issues within there. But at the end of the day, though, it's something that, you know, we've got, we, if, if we can write an index, we can address these problems as well. So yeah, no, I definitely. Think we have the capability of being able to deal with that. We just have to just, you know, kind of get inventive. And that's what we had to do. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's great. That's great, actually. And then the last question I wanted to actually ask mm -hmm. you about the, the book is, and you, you mentioned kind of in passing that the proceeds go to charity. Um, and that's yep. they're going to something called the DevOps Collective OnRamp program. Um, providing scholarships to conferences and training for underrepresented demographics in IT. And so I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Yes. Um, so every every year um, when the PowerShell Summit happens, what usually happens side by side with the PowerShell Summit is they will do um, training. And is one of the, one of my friends was fortunate enough to be selected for that on-ramp program. I've, I spent a lot of time mentoring him. And the, it's just, you know, getting them out getting them into a, a, an environment where they can have the best of the best teaching them. Um, they can ask all the questions. Um, it's, you know, from an accommodation point of view, it's free, you know, they'll pay for flights, everything just to be able to get them into that room, to be able to teach them what they need to know. And that's incredibly valuable. They can walk away with the experience, but the other really important things is they get to meet a lot of really, um, um, really cool people to be able to help them along that journey. And there's a lot of people there that are willing to mentor them, you know, that are really willing to just, you know, invest as much time and effort into them to help their career. Um, I think Don Jones used it perfectly, which is the, um, in the book called Be the Master, is that it, the, the concept of um, giving back and the, the idea of um, the apprentice and becoming the master and once the, the apprentice becomes the master, it's the, um, the master's responsibility um, to teach the new apprentice. And it's the same kind of philosophy that um, I apply with regards to, you know, teaching, investing in, you know, our, our younger generation, because these guys are going to be the ones that are going to come through and investing in new um, and cooler things that I can't even possibly imagine. So that's really what the, the concept and why the, why we wanted to, um, why the DevOps Collective have really kind of put that on-ramp program in place is just to, you know, help get these people, um, you know, who, who don't have access to, you know, computers or, you know, who, who don't have access to, who are underrepresented, um, to give them the tools and the, the, the bootstrap process to get them into, you know, a, a really good, you know, to get them into a job and kickstart that career. And, you know, who knows, they might be, you know, running that in, in, in you know, five, 10 years time. So, and that would be, that would be the, you know, amazing. So as it's kind of funny because with my friend, I've spent, you know, I, I, I spent a lot of time trying to, you know, mentor him and, you know, and he, he essentially um, finished an apprenticeship and they said, no, we don't have any, you know, jobs for you. And so I said, Hey, come and go and do it. And I, you know, we, yeah, we, we basically live streamed our, our PowerShell journey and it was kind of really, you know, um, informal in that sense. And we, you know, really just drove, um, drove his career forward. And I can, yeah, no, and he, I'm really proud of him. You know, he's, um, he's, he's doing a lot and he's kicking goals. So, yeah.
Well, that's just great. That's what a great program, what a great initiative and what a great sort of, you know, reason, reasoning behind it, as you said, from Don Jones's book and that this idea of like mm. passing, passing one, one obligation you have is passing it along so someone else can pass it along to their next generation. Yep. And that's, that's just amazing. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the last question I always ask on the podcast, if the guest is a lean pub author, um, you've, you've all basically already answered in a way, which is it, it's, um, if there was one thing we could fix for you or one thing we could magical feature, we could build for you, what would you ask us to do? But in addition to all the problems that you solved yourselves, um, uh, is there, is there anything else that you can think of that you would ask us to, to build or fix for you? Apart from all the indexing, things like that, I think, um, it's, it's, it's a really tough question. Um, because I've, the one thing that I would like, like it's, it's one of those things that for myself, it's, um, you, you don't generally encounter these issues until you, you know, you, you, you're attempting a project. And so it's always you know, the review and retrospective of the, the current issues. So from a future, you know, to kind of address future issues, it's, it's going to be really kind of a, you know, we've already discussed the, the review and you know, what, what we found, what we found challenging and what didn't work. And it, it, it's something for myself. Um, yeah, we're not going to really know until um, we, we, um, start to hit those issues. And I think probably the thing for me would be, and I've, again, I would have to re reiterate, it would be indexing and uh, margin issues. I think um, annotations, I think it also has issues within uh, Makura. I don't, I, 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 I can't remember if, it, if that's the case, but that's one thing as well. Um, and yeah, so that, that's probably, um, I know that obviously Makura has a lot more of the features which we wanted to make use. So like exercises and things like that. And so the future for the book essentially is to what we're, what we're wanting to do within the, the, um, but the idea is, is that what we want to do for our second edition is to actually also write an exercise lab manual with it as well. So it's kind of, you know, the, the two books side by side and be able to have all those exercises and things like that within that. So it kind of simplifies um, a lot of the book and that, and the, yeah, so that, that's, that's, you know, future, future Michael's problems. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, if future Michael ever wants to get in touch with future Len, please don't hesitate uh, to reach out um, about, about any no issues or questions or anything like that. I mean, sometimes we might be able to sort of like, you know, give, give, answer a question that'll save you, save you a few hours of, of poking around. So if mm. anything like that ever does come up, please let me know. But uh, yeah, Michael, thanks very much for taking time uh, out of your day uh, to uh, talk to our audience about, about your book and about your background and your interests and PowerShell and everything. And thanks very much for being been a pleasure. Author. Oh, thank you so much. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. And as always, thanks to all of you for listening to this episode of the Front Matter podcast. If you like what you heard, please rate and review it wherever you found it. And if you'd like to be a Lean Pub author yourself, please check out our website at leanpub.com. Thanks.